And that was my aha moment of saying, I can do this. I can build a business around this, around great client experience and quality. Welcome to In the Thick of It. I'm your host, Scott Hallrow. On our first episode of In the Thick of It, I sit down with my friend Chelsea Curtis, former LPGA development tour golfer turned founder of Seaport Consulting. We reminisce about our early days of starting our businesses and the lessons we learned along the way. We discuss the importance of finding your values, the challenges of hiring, and the surprises and milestones of growing a business. It's an inspiring conversation filled with wisdom and insights for aspiring entrepreneurs. Welcome to In the Thick of It. Well, I am so excited to uh, kick off our our very first podcast episode with a dear friend, Chelsea Curtis. Uh, Chelsea and I first met, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, um, just as I was getting my firm off the ground and she was kind of thinking about doing something. And uh, Chelsea, we're really excited to hear your story today. Thanks for joining us. I'm really happy to be here, Scott. Thanks so much. So just introduce yourself. So my name is Chelsea Curtis. I am from Boston, Massachusetts. I actually grew up on Cape Cod, so a nice summer community, but we were there full time. And I started a business called Seaport Consulting. And we are a Salesforce consulting firm working with small to medium-sized businesses. And we implement Salesforce and support our clients who utilize the Salesforce platform. Growing up on Cape Cod, like, I don't know, like I, I picture this very idyllic lifestyle, like everything's just perfect. And, you know, I, t- t- tell me a little bit about your growing up. It really is. And I think growing up there and having that be all you know is you take it for granted. So you grow up in a small town, sleepy, especially in the winters, restaurants close, stores close. And a lot of us were just really itching to get out. And so I ended up going to Georgetown University in DC. And a few of my other friends, we were, we were like ready to hit the big city, you know, uh, get out of this small town. And we got to our cities and we were like, wow, we really had it made on Cape Cod. We were right by the ocean, you know, on the beach, feeling that kind of sea salt breeze. Um, so a lot of us made it back for the summer and and we really appreciated it more when we got older. Isn't that funny? You take things for granted when you're there. And then when you go away, you realize how good it was. This has been 18 plus years now. My wife and I've been married for for 18 years and we did our honeymoon in Maui. And I can still remember driving from the airport to the hotel. It was late at night. It was, I don't know, I say late. It was 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And we're looking out over the ocean and we saw what looked like a rainbow at night. And we we're just perplexed at this. And we get into the hotel and we, we ask the person at the front desk, what was that that we saw? And they go, oh, yeah, it's called a moonbow. Like, no big deal. I'm like, are you kidding me? How is this not a big deal? But when you when you live in it every day, it just kind of becomes old hat. So I get it. Well, so you've been in Boston for how long now? Ten years. I moved back to Boston in 2011, 2012. So you've been there a while. I imagine like most major metro areas, you've seen a lot of growth and change there. It's unbelievable the, the amount Boston has grown, the construction, the buildings going up. 
our company name, Seaport, is an area in Boston. And it used to be just rickety old docks. And then you had illegal seafood and harpoon brewery. And you could see the ocean very expansive. And now there's just it it buildings everywhere. It looks like the new kind of almost like financial district. So it's incredible. I think we met for drinks down there somewhere a while back when I was in town. And that is like a booming, hip, thriving part of town. It's it's a it's a fun, fun area. I'm pre- I feel very lucky to have gotten seaportconsulting.com the domain for uh seriously for that area. Yeah. It's been I, I, great. I would have thought you'd had to arm wrestle somebody for that. So an interesting fact uh that I think people would, you know, want to know about you. You were a collegiate and professional athlete. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I I started playing golf when I was seven years old. My parents threw me in a golf camp and that was it. It was kind of love at first sight. And I started playing in in tournaments locally and then statewide and then regionally and nationally. And I was lucky enough to get recruited by different schools and ended up going to Georgetown and played there. And I actually, I graduated around the time of uh, the recession, great recession and, you know, not a lot of job opportunities. And I was at the peak of my golf game. I had just come off a really great tournament uh, with a lot of big names. So I, I decided to give it a shot and I qualified for what at the time was called the futures tour. It is now the Epson tour, which is the develop, developmental tour uh, underneath the LPGA. It was an amazing experience. I played on it for two years. My first year was able to get to the uh, 16th on the money list, made it to final stage LPGA Q school. I'm playing with all these LPGA ladies and a little bit starstruck and eventually decided to come back to Boston and get a real job but it was an awesome experience. I'm just so impressed that people like you go out and actually try it. I mean, th- there's so many people that aren't willing to to take that risk and and you did and you know, maybe that's why you're a successful business owner today that you've got some comfort with some risk like that. When I was thinking about this podcast and coming on, I that's exactly what I thought about was how much golf has given me the tools to be a founder in a business and to start my own business. The game is just, it's an individual sport. There's a lot of exposure of yourself. You're personally putting yourself out there to either succeed or see, you know, fail. And there's a lot of failures in golf. There's a lot of things that, you know, it's not a game of perfect. And I've learned a lot through golf that has really helped me in business. We have a couple of uh, collegiate athletes at, at my firm and they're superstars. I think that playing at that level, it develops a certain mental toughness. And I was talking, we have a, a fractional CFO, outside CFO, and we were talking about hiring and, and the kinds of candidates that they are looking for. And, and, and he said something really interesting to me. He said, man, I think you need to go out and find a former college baseball player because they are used to winning about 30% of the time and they keep going after it and they make great salespeople. And when he said that something really clicked. And so anyway, I, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for how sports prepares you for life and business. So 
talk to me about that transition from, you know, traveling around the country, playing the most beautiful golf courses that America has to offer to, as you put it, a real job. What, what was that first job? The first job was sales and marketing associate at Schernecker Property Services, SPS. And they're a construction management firm just outside of Boston. But my journey to get there was, it took me some months after the tour. I felt a little lost as to what do I want to do next? And I started applying for jobs. And it was the first time where I was feeling rejection from other people that I didn't have the experience or the skill sets that they wanted because they're looking at my resume and saying, well, that's great. You played golf. That's cool. But I need someone who can jump in and start working. So it was eye-opening and I landed at SPS and it was an amazing experience. That's where I fell into Salesforce. They were looking and evaluating Salesforce back in 2011, 2012. And that's when they asked me, they said, do you want to take this on if we do this? And I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, what is Salesforce? And, you know, back in 2012, I mean, that was before Lightning even existed. It was before Trailhead was rolled out. I look, I decided to go look this up because I remember telling my parents, I was like, this company has something to it. I, I think maybe you should look at their stock. And the stock price back in 2012, January was $26. And it's in the mid 100s, but it's been as high as, I don't know, high 200 300s in the last yeah. years. Yeah. Crazy. We committed to Salesforce and I helped implement Salesforce with a partner. And we really came out of it incredibly happy. We were able to see uh, key metrics, data in an instant. Whereas before we had separate systems that were integrated, we integrated the accounting from a construction management standpoint, you know, resource management is so important in being able to forecast. So sales and pipeline, but then also those closed one opportunities, being able to see gross and net profit against it. So having that accounting data come in and see that information was incredible at the time. How big of a company were they when you were there? So we had about 60 full-time employees, plus they had you know subcontractors. And that was a huge part of what we ended up tracking in Salesforce too, was being able to manage those subcontractors. And they were doing about, I want to say, 25 million in revenue. And we exploded to 40, 50 in just a matter of years after we got Salesforce. That's amazing. So from there, is that the company that you left to start Seaport or were you someplace in between? Yes, I was at SPS. And once we got through several different iterations of implementing Salesforce, integrating it with different tools, that's when I said, I, I really like this. I want to keep doing this with other businesses. And I went off on my own. And that's when I met you, Scott, and you were one of the first people I worked with going out on my own. And and the way that we were connected, I, I think it was, uh, man, it was, it was serendipity. I think it was something that was really good for both of us. I was at a 
point of growth in my business where I, I didn't want to keep working nights and weekends. And you were at a point that you were thinking about kind of branching out and, and we got connected by a random mutual associate. And, and here we are uh, all these, all these years later. So I know for me, like I can, I can very, very easily pinpoint that moment when it was like, okay, I think I'm going to do this. Do you have like that, that crystal clear point in time that it was like, yes, this was, this was that, that turning point that made you say, I'm going to make the jump. I would say that I really love solving business problems and utilizing the Salesforce platform. And that was my initial jump into let's, let's try this. Let's, let's be an independent contractor. Let's go work and see that. The real aha moment for me was as I was, you know, getting into the consulting world, as I was working with these various partners and companies, I started to realize how important communication was. And while there was an incredible amount of technical ability in what people were doing, it was actually amazing to me how how much technology was secondary to people. And the more you can actually really make those connections with your clients and be that bridge between technology and your client, have that really clear communication with them, that was the piece to success. That's where I saw the most successful implementations and the best engagements. And that was my aha movement of saying, I can do this. I can build a business around this, around great client experience and quality. I think that we we share a very similar mentality. Technology by itself is is worthless. You know, we we have to implement technology where people and where business process converge with the systems. You know, if we just go throw throw some software out there into the wild, it's it's never really going to be a, a benefit to anybody. Starting a business, you you, uh, you went from playing golf to having a, a steady paycheck. When you start a business, you typically, you know, don't start with tons of revenue day one. Was that a scary transition? It was scary. And especially living in Boston and having more expenses. City. It's an expensive city, especially when you like oysters and old fashions. <laughs> I'm okay on the oysters, but I do I do love a good old fashioned. I know that's another thing that we really connected on, Scott. Whistlepig was the you know, you you were the first one who introduced me to Whistlepig. Oh, it's so good. But it it was incredibly scary. I but I do go back to golf and think about I was not getting a consistent paycheck. I, I had to go perform to get paid. And so it was a familiar feeling. Golf is all about controlling what you can control. And you have to let go of the things you can't control. And you have to focus on the here and now and the process. And it's tough not to think about outcomes at the time, but you that's how you succeed. And so that's I really took, again, a lot of my learnings from golf and, and put that into the business when I was getting started. And if I remember correctly, tell me if I'm wrong here, but when you were playing golf, you definitely weren't flying around on private jets uh, sponsored by Nike. And I don't even think you were flying around at all. I'm pretty sure you were like literally driving your car from city to city across the country each week to get to your tournaments. 
Yes. Yeah. So being on that on that tour just below the LPGA, it was not glamorous. We would pack up our cars and I had a Honda CRV. I put the seats in the back down and I organized it. It was basically a closet and then some golf clubs. And we would drive around the country from about March or April all the way until September. And the way they had the tour structured, you start in Florida and then you drive down the south to Texas and then you go back up into the Midwest to Iowa, Michigan, Indiana, and then you start driving back east through Kentucky, Ohio, over to the northeast and then back down to Florida. So it was eastern half of the country. You didn't make it out to the Pacific? At the time, the tour did not make it past kind of that Texas line. But uh, I believe they have some tournaments out there now. Once you've been to Texas, I mean, you really don't need to go anywhere else anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Barbecue, beer, bourbon, all I need. All all good stuff. So what fears did you have going into it? And did any of those fears actually come to to pass? Did did any of those things that, that, that you were scared of or worried about actually happen? Even though... I was comfortable in that unknown. I still had that fear of failure. It feels just more personal because you are starting the business. It's if you don't make it, it's your fault or you did something wrong. And so there was that fear of failure as we were getting started, the fear of not knowing what was going to happen or what to do next. A lot of it was really learning on the fly, which I loved, but it's scary. And as far as coming to pass, I bring it back to kind of the aha moment of communication and you realize the importance of it. And, you know, starting out, seeing some of those trouble projects or seeing things that happen and really learning from Where can you be better, clear and simple? Just because you say something to a client doesn't mean they understand. Same with an employee. You know, just because you say something to anyone doesn't mean that they're going to understand or that they understand the way you were trying to communicate it to them. That's for sure. Have any of those things led to significant hurdles or problems in the business? A hurdle for us has been hiring. I think one thing is that. I think I could have been more aggressive with our growth plan, but at the same time, hiring has been a huge hurdle for us, finding the right people, finding people with the same values as us. And obviously, you know, the skill sets of, of, and people who are passionate about working in Salesforce and uh, helping our clients. So it's, it's been, I think, more challenging and more time consuming that than I even expected for that piece. So you talked about hiring being a challenge and you're not hiring if you're not growing. So talk to us about your your kind of growth trajectory, you know. You don't have to give specific numbers or anything like that, but kind of what what has the growth been like? So we are actually, we're going to double our headcount and revenue from last year. So we're on track to do that for 2022, which is pretty incredible. That is awesome. How did y'all fare during the height of the pandemic? It was a really interesting time. 
I would say initially when the pandemic first hit, there was a clear pause that a lot of people took and said, what's going to happen? How is this going to shake out? We're not going to commit or spend money. But it didn't take long for people to realize, oh, no, we are working remotely now. And working on paper and spreadsheets on a server is not going to work <laughs> moving forward. And being that my background is in construction management for my previous job, we found a nice little niche of construction, manufacturing, industrials. And we saw a huge increase in interest and need for Salesforce, a cloud platform to be able to work. And so that actually has really pushed us forward through the pandemic. Also, we're working with companies across the country. And initially, we had a real focus to the Northeast. We're based in Boston. But people are more open to working with us because everyone's remote anyway. And so we have clients all over the country now. And we some of them we've never met in person before. Isn't that crazy? In our business, we started some projects that that have turned into huge, huge ongoing relationships and engagements with with certain customers. And a lot of them have spent a lot of money with our firm. And until six months ago, I had never met them. And something about that just didn't feel right. Like you've, you've paid us a lot of money and I haven't had a chance to actually shake your hand or sit down and have a cup of coffee with you. And so thankfully, you know, the world has started opening back up and people have been receptive and we've been getting on planes and going to visit people wherever we can. And that's, I don't know about you, but it's been really refreshing for us. There's, some, there's something about the human connection of being there with someone that you just can't replace. And I don't think we'll ever go away. You know, people during the pandemic, I think, thought, well, does this mean conferences don't need to happen ever again? And I think we've come to the answer of no. If I have to sit through another virtual conference, I don't know what I will do, but it won't be pretty. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's just not sustainable. When you start a small business, at least in the early days, most people have to do everything. And I think in doing everything, you quickly figure out what are the things that you like doing and what are the things that you loathe doing? What are the parts that you like the most and what are the parts that you like the least? Great question. So it is true. I was doing everything. I was the accountant. I was HR, I was working on projects, I was managing consultants, I was sales. I love working with clients, solving problems, being able to show business outcomes, KPIs, reports, dashboards, being able to see clients touch something that we help build every day and it becomes the backbone of their organization is just so rewarding. So that's what I love from a client perspective. And then with our, with our people, with our team, it's just, I mean, we work with such great people who care so much and work so hard. And you go back to the sports and athletes, there's a level of grit that I think is necessary with consultants to be able to do this job and being able to give them the, the space to learn and grow has been awesome. 
And so the things that take me away from those two things are the things that, you know, some of them are tedious. I might loathe. Some of them I'm okay doing, but I don't like that it's taking me away from things. Having to learn accounting, having to learn all the tax filings and things that a business needs to know, you know, insurance, all of that. It's it's quite the black hole of things that is just expansive in its knowledge. You mentioned having to learn accounting. What was your degree in college? I was a biology major. Yeah, because, you know, Salesforce consulting and accounting, they're so close to biology. Those are yeah, exactly. I've not used my my degree once. I will say that, but I think you know the sciences. You you think very logically. Lots of problem solving, which has been great. But man, the first time I got into my QuickBooks, I was like, I I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah, debits and credits. You know. Debit. Oh yeah. Journal entries. I don't I have a card for that? Yeah. <laughs> you talked about you're going to double this year. What do you attribute? your success to what has caused that, you know, straight up curve in in your business? So going back to our values, our guiding light of great communication, great client experience, quality, we've done an amazing job of retaining clients and working with them after our initial project or implementation. 70% of our business is recurring clients, existing clients. And so having that base to then just grow upon with new business is really what has accelerated our growth. We really love working long-term with clients and being there. So you work on a project, we maintain with managed services support, and then we figure out what that next project is. That's a huge part of it. Outside of hiring, what do you see as hurdles to that continued level of growth? That is a great question. It's also the people organization of it and having individuals grow into managers to be able to hire those people underneath them. So a lot, because we are a small business, is still on me. So being able to have people move up to be able to manage others and start to grow that But another piece, and I'm very proud of this, is we've been able to grow the business organically without taking any investment money, any taking on any debt or any loans. I've not taken a single loan. And it's, it's been amazing. I mean, that gives me the power to say we are going to make decisions based on quality versus having to think about growth in the way that a tech company who's taking VC money would have to. But that that does mean cash flow constraints. And do we continue on that path or do we eventually take money to help grow faster? That's something that a lot of a lot of small business owners are going to have to grapple with at some point. Like you, we've been able to grow organically without taking outside money. And you do get to a certain point where when you get to a certain critical mass, one or two off months can be really difficult, but you also look out and you go, Hey, I I know that this is just a season and we've got to maintain our staffing levels. We've got to maintain these other things. And we've got to make it through this lean period because we know there's something great on the other side. And 
that's a difficult thing when there is money available. Do you do it? Do you do it or do you not do it? And that, and then that's one of the challenges of being a business owner is we're not given the right answer. We don't know what that right, right answer is until we get to the other side. And so you really have to look at all the information provided and make that decision and commit to it. That's a great segue into another question that I have. You said you don't know the right answer until you get to the other side. You've been at this for several years. If you could go back and talk to yourself right as you were starting Seaport, what would you tell yourself? I would say that it's okay to really just jump in and go for it. And that it's really important to find what your value is and stick to it. And again, use that as your guiding light to be able to make decisions based on that. It makes it really simple to say, is this the right decision if our goal is to have great client experience and quality? And we have walked away from projects that we didn't think we could execute on 100%. And we've walked away from clients who we didn't think had the same values as us that had the right expectations in mind, who didn't see us as a valued partner and a mutual respect and more of like a client vendor. And and that's what we're always looking for is that partnership with our clients and that mutual respect. It's refreshing to hear other people say that because we're the exact same way. There are times that we have walked away from huge, huge projects. And I have slept better at night knowing that that money wasn't going to hit the bank, but also that I wasn't going to have to, you know, guide my people through what was going to be a difficult project or or a difficult client. And, and I think that what that speaks to is how much you, Chelsea, value your team and you want to create a great atmosphere and a great environment that they want to they want to get up and, and, and work hard for each day. And that's really hard when you've got that client that just doesn't have realistic expectations. Totally agree. What surprises have you had along the way? Is there something that was like, oh, I, I just never really thought of that? I think the big surprise, and I kind of already mentioned this, one of the biggest surprises for me was the fact that I could grow this without taking money. I, I really did think that even to get it off the ground, we would we would need some sort of funding to make this work but we've been able to bring on people and have you know the benefits and everything that we need for people to feel like they have security to do this job and work with us on our team that's really been the biggest surprise so far where do you see the company in 3 to 5 years i see us continuing to grow and continuing our mission and our values of being able to work with great clients, continuing that process of being able to bring on new clients and work with them long-term on their entire plan with Salesforce as the platform. We've worked with so many other applications and systems because Salesforce integrates so nicely with other tools. So we're learning a lot of tools as well. What tools outside of Salesforce do y'all use internally that you are at a point now that you just couldn't live without? We use Conga right now for DocGen as well as eSign, although we also have Pandadoc working. 
And then we use form assembly for different forms and time tracking as well. And we're evaluating DevOps tools at the moment. So we're looking towards getting something that will really help us save time. Most of my focus right now is on acquiring tools that can really create efficiencies with our consultants, just because that is finite, our time. And so the more we can save people's time, the better. I think it's important, even in a small business, to really invest in technology and systems that can help you grow and scale. And I think that a lot of small businesses tend to overlook that in the early days, and they find themselves having to invest more by doing things manually than if they would, you know, put the money into tools that that would automate things. So one of my favorite podcasts, it highlights businesses that have typically grown into these massive, massive companies. They've been bought out or, or gone public. And almost every one of those stories has a nearly catastrophic have you had any of those at Seaport or have you been able to, to escape that? We have not had a moment like that yet. And I say yet, so you, we can chat in a few <laughs> years and see what happens. Fair enough. Well, if somebody came to you, and in fact, I, I imagine that people have come to you that were thinking about starting their own businesses what advice would you give them? I think this is something that people say a lot, but it's so true is you can't be afraid to fail. You've got to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable. It's just part of what you need to do really to start that business. And you have to go all in if you want to be successful. And it goes back to finding that value. What's going to be your guiding light to to really make those decisions, focus on that and push forward. That's sound advice. So looking back in your years of doing this, what has been the absolute pinnacle, the, the absolute highest high that you have experienced? I think I'm in it right now. The fact that we're going to double in both headcount and revenue this year based off of our projections. I mean, even if you look at just the first half of this year, it is more than double last year. So I, I'm in it right now. We have um, a head of operations, we have a head of sales, and we have consultants. And it really feels like the team is coming together and we're ready to just continuing to grow and grow and grow. That's awesome. Is there anything that you have tried that you expected to work that didn't? And I guess conversely, is there something that you you have kind of taken a, a risk on that has turned out better than you expected it to? Something that I tried and didn't work. Let me start with the other question. So I think our managed services has done really well. And it's something that I didn't, I wasn't sure if that was going to work, but I think we're going into a new era where systems are becoming a lot more challenging to maintain day to day. And it feels like there's a lot of need for sales ops, rev ops. Those are becoming incredibly important roles, but maybe not necessarily a lot of people who have 
been in those roles as we start to expand that. And so we've been able to take a chance there on, on trying to figure out how to manage that and uh, sell that business has worked really well. Something that hasn't worked, I'm blanking. Anything come to mind for you, Scott? I, I can think of uh, a couple of things that we probably rushed into that um, probably should have taken a little bit more time and due diligence to, to work through. We've implemented some systems internally that on the surface looked great, pulled the trigger a little too quickly, and uh, <laughs> we get partway through our own implementation of an expense management tool, for example, and it was very clear very quickly that it was not going to to work. There have been a couple of product partnerships that we have stepped into, and to your point earlier about, I think you said you you really have to jump in with both feet. You can't really kind of hover on the surface or, or dabble in something. You've really, really got to commit. And there's a number of, of these partnerships that I've gone into probably with unrealistic expectations about, yeah, we're going to we're gonna join this partner program and things are just going to magically take off. And I've got people internally that are reminding me that we, we really do have to to jump in with both feet. We can't dabble and expect things to really take off and, and be successful. And and when I look at the parts of our business that have been successful, it is because we have just fully, fully thrown ourselves at those things. That makes a lot of sense. And you did make me think of one thing that we've been struggling to do, which is implement a really great way of tracking time against projects. I think as consultants, that is something that is important and is a challenge. And so it, as much as we re- make recommendations to our clients, sometimes it's hard to practice what you preach. And we're still a small business just trying to keep our head above water. And we're still working through our own internal operations as well. Well, Chelsea, thanks so much for being our first guest. And um so proud of you. It has been awesome to to get to see you grow your business over these years. I love our our check-ins periodically and wish you just nothing but continued success. Scott, I I feel so honored that you would even think of me for your podcast. And you have been an amazing sounding board, someone who I really respect and look up to. I think Venn is an amazing organization and we would be so lucky to, you know, follow in your footsteps of what you've been accomplishing. And, and actually that's a great point to make for future founders is find your mentors. It's so important to find mentors and to have people who can give you that advice and listen to them because they've made those mistakes. And so, and they can give you the inside tips on on how to not do that and move forward and learn from what other people have done. Thank you so much for those those kind words. Um, and B, I just want to second that. And when it comes to mentors, mentorship doesn't have to be anything formal. I have dozens of people who I would consider to be mentors, which I meet with with regularity, others it's infrequent. Sometimes it's circumstantial and it's, oh my gosh, what do I do about the situation? I'm going to call this person, but it is absolutely crucial as a business owner, as a founder to surround yourself with with other like-minded individuals. 
you talked earlier so much about values and how you want to work with customers that share your values. You want to hire employees who share your values. And, and I think the same is true in terms of finding mentors who share your values. So well said. Totally agree. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us and uh, we'll check in again down the road. Sounds great. Thanks, Scott. That was Chelsea Curtis, founder of Seaport Consulting. To learn more, go to seaportconsulting.com. If you or a founder you know would like to be a guest on In the Thick of It, email us at intro at founderstory.us. Thank you.